Now Satan is imprisoned for a thousand years and as I mentioned before, it is my conviction that it is in fact a thousand years as opposed to a symbolic number. But there is highly, this is highly symbolic in the sense that if you add this thousand years to essentially the age of man, it's the seventh year, so it's a Sabbath year, so to speak. It's the conclusion of a process that had begun. So the character of the millennial period to begin with, the character of that matches what the scriptures said about the seven days of creation or the six six days of creation and God resting on the seventh day. As I have said many times in these teachings, we must look at the biblical concept of a day differently than from a 24-hour period because, and and here I want to talk about the millennium, so I'm painting a picture in which I hope to set the jewel of understanding. And so as is typical of so many things in the book of Revelation, it being essentially the book that summarizes so many things uh, beginning with Genesis, and it doesn't just summarize prophecy, although it does, it summarizes concepts and ideas that have been around since the very, since the early chapters of the book of Genesis. So it's impossible to talk about the book of Revelation without a knowledge of the overall scriptures themselves. And one of the reasons I go back and forth and do not hew to a line-by-line understanding of the book of Revelation is because there's so many important considerations that allow for a more complete and accurate understanding of what is being spoken prophetically that if we ignore them, we're really bound to make the classic mistakes that have already been made and and abundantly made in the interpretation of the book of Revelation. Let the Bible essentially interpret itself, but in order for that to happen, Scripture's book of Revelation itself says, it calls for, quote, men of understanding. Often people say, what what should these men understand? You know, and some prefer to understand charts and graphs and arrows and maps. And it's simple. The word is like an endless cycle. It's It's not linear. 
it's, it's not even circular, it's cyclical. Meaning it moves around in cycles as opposed to circles. Cycles become, they start out as, bare, as mere sketches. But as the cycles progress, they become more detailed, more massive. So the concluding cycles can be properly expected to contain everything. So that nothing is, there are no hanging uh, shards or strands or threads. Everything is a perfect tapestry painting a picture. So we must understand what the basic pictures are, which is what I've been laboring to show you. What are the fundamental pictures? And then within that, what are the environments in which these fundamental pictures unfold? These are keys to understanding the book of Revelation. And that's why things are summed up. And that indeed everything ultimately is summed up in Christ. So Christ is the contextual framework of all of the scriptures. And when we speak of Christ, we do not speak just of Mary's son. We do not speak only of the third representation or the, the third manifestation of the Godhead. We speak also, when we speak of Christ as the Son of God, we speak of the corporate man and all that opposes the corporate man and why and what authorities does the corporate man have, how were those derived, what was given, what was lost, what was restored and so on. Now, when we speak of the millennial period, we are also talking about a context. After the imprisonment of Satan, there are things to be concluded. The thing to be concluded, one of the primary things to be concluded, is the rule of Christ. He was cut off. He claimed to be king. In fact, he was crucified because his claim to be a king, although his kingdom was not of this world, was thoroughly rejected by the Jews of his day. And he was crucified under a question mark, so to speak. Was Jesus of Nazareth actually the promised Messiah, the King of the Jews? I'm not sure if Herod did that tongue-in-cheek or if he, when he put up over his head, over the, the cross, the writing, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, or if he had a serious, um, if he saw that there was a serious requirement, according to Roman law, to charge him and make the charge public. Clearly neither uh, Pilate nor the Jewish collaborators agreed 
that he was the king. They made it very clear. You know, people are sensitive today and want to rewrite ancient principles, but what is true is true, and rewriting them doesn't change anything. Just it just deceives you, and you you get into the the mindset of believing the deception and arguing for the outcomes associated with the deception. But the Jews in the days of Jesus utterly rejected him as the king of the Jews. And most still do today. These are principles, these are not political principles or social principles to be resolved in today's environment. They're eternal principles and eventually every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter what you think in the meantime. But as to whether he was or was not the king, that was the argument. That was the argument. Neither the Romans believed it nor the Jews who accused him believed it because they said, we have no king but Caesar, which was an astonishing thing for them to say. To accept as their king someone not even a Jew. When their history promised a king, when the history promised a king of the lineage of David, indeed even further back, the history promised a king of the lineage of Judah one of the twelve sons of Jacob. So for them to say, we have no king but Caesar, or Caesar is our king, that's a level of apostasy that is so shocking as to be um, unthinkable. But their debauchery in terms of departure from the ways of God had become so extreme that they would rather say we have no king but Caesar than to entertain the possibility that this son of David was indeed the king. Anyway, the gospel on the day of Pentecost was to establish the principle that Jesus is the king. Yet he would say and had said during his lifetime on the earth, my kingdom, my kingdom, is not of this world. The kingdom of heaven is the domain of Christ. He claims that he had all authority in heaven and on earth because it had been given to him. Now in the three and a half years that he lived upon the earth, There was little in the way of showing he indeed had a domain and that the promise of God long established by the Psalms, the second Psalm for example, long established by the prophetic scriptures that said that, ask of me 
and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. So the subjects of his kingdom, kingdom of heaven, the subjects would be of every tribe, tongue, language and nation. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. The territory was, ask of me and I'll give you the ends of the earth for your possession, which is to say your domain will span the whole earth. So drawn from every tribe, tongue, language and nation. So there's diversity of race in his kingdom. His kingdom will be comprised of citizens from citizens subject to his rule from every tribe, tongue, language and nation and the domain over which he would rule is the whole earth. And the extent or time of his rule would be without end, without end. His kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. When did all of that happen upon the earth? It did not. It did not. So the millennium is when it does. You see how simple these things are? (laughs) The millennium is when it does. Look, when God said, I'll give you the ends of the earth for your possession, He was really talking about the ends of the earth, that no opposition to His rule will be permitted in the earth. I'll give you the ends of the earth for your possession. When God said, I'll make every tribe, tongue, language and nation subject to your rule, that wasn't talking about citizens of heaven, wasn't talking about uh, what happens when He sits upon the throne in heaven, that was for the earth. What is the diversity of citizens in heaven? The Roman Catholics made the kingdom of heaven, heaven itself. The kingdom of heaven and the reference to the word kingdom, basileo, the Roman word, uh, the, the Latin word basilica, speaks of a foundation or basis of power and rule. It doesn't speak of the domain of rule. Over what domain is the rule to be established? It speaks about the authority that establishes the domain. It's called the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven, heaven is the greater of the two realms. It's also called the kingdom of God because God is the set law of this kingdom. What do I mean by that? I mean that God has established the authority and power by which this kingdom survives. That's why the throne of God is first in heaven because the throne is the symbol of authority, the authority to govern. And while He waits in heaven for all things to be concluded upon the earth, 
so he may come back out of heaven unto the earth to establish his domain and rule as the kingdom of heaven which includes the domain of earth. He will rule here. This same Jesus, the angel said, whom you have seen go up into heaven, where the clouds received him out of their sight, this same Jesus will come again in like fashion as you've seen him go into heaven. These are words to be fulfilled. He'll come back to the earth. He's going to empty heaven of all that is essentially heaven. He's going to empty it of the throne. He's going to empty it of angels. He's going to empty it of the saints who died and went to heaven. He's going to empty it of authority. He's going to empty it of power, of purpose. Here on the earth, is where he's coming back to rule. Now, we began to say that God does things in sevens. In six days, he created the heavens and the earth, and he rested on the seventh day. The Hebrew word for seven is the word from which the word Sabbath is derived. Shaboth, and it means complete, as in rest. So when God rested on the seventh day, God had in fact entered the completed state of things. Everything that was necessary had been done, had been set in place to host and to fulfill the purposes for which he established creation. So there was nothing for God to do essentially except to rest until everything he foresaw was fulfilled. And in that time of rest, he committed all authority into the hands of the Son. Now then, the Son claims to have all authority in heaven and on the earth. Why would he do that? All authority in heaven and on earth. Do these things even mean anything? Well, of course they do. If you understand basic jurisprudence, which is about kingdoms, how they're formed in terms of the sources of authority to govern, why they exist, how they function, what is required by way of accountability and oversight. If you understand anything at all about kingdom, these things are the necessary subject matters. But when we were told by the Romans that the kingdom of heaven is heaven itself, it removed the necessity to understand about kingdoms because then the goal was going to heaven when you die. And of course the church picked up the, the franchise, they claim the franchise as to who goes to heaven. So 
end of the story we didn't have to contend with any of these things. That's why we, people for so long have looked to the church to provide answers. When the church short-circuited the whole picture and made it such that to be ignorant of these matters made people who believed in the church have to rely on the church with no way to verify whether they were getting adequate information or not. Now, all of that's falling down of course and the time has come, the time has more than come where serious pursuers of God who intend to grow up and become mature and not just have trite um, stock stereotypical answers which don't work because they're not true, the serious consumers of truth who hope to be changed by that with understanding and with knowledge, understanding, counsel and wisdom have to have this information. So when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, He was charged with being a false ruler, with a false claim to ruling. He lived after His crucifixion and resurrection, He lived only 40 days upon the earth and He did not at that time establish and oversee a kingdom. Yes, the kingdom of heaven came and has been in operation for 2,000 years, but no, it has not established dominion and rule to which all peoples and nations and languages are subject. Nations still have their independence from Christ and from the authority of His kingdom, although the kingdom of heaven does exist upon the earth. So that was not the scope, the extent and the intention of rule that God promised Christ. Yes, people do come into the kingdom from every tribe, language and nation, so in that sense the kingdom exists and functions, but it's all voluntary, it's all voluntary. For example, the Indian subcontinent does not accept Christ as king, they accept the gods of Hinduism. The Chinese are officially an atheistic society, do not accept Christ as sovereign and Lord, they accept the Communist Party as the sovereign over 1.3 billion people. Between China and India, they account for what? 2.6 billion people out of eight? That's more than a third of the earth's population just between two nations. So no, in that sense Jesus is not the Lord of 
these nations. Because lordship requires submission and they are not submitted to the lordship of Christ. You see, we have to be direct, bold, speak truth, even if it offends and wrecks our present perspectives. All it means is that our present perspectives are inadequate. But there is a time when everything that God promised Christ will be absolutely, uncontrovertibly, and unchallenged and fulfilled. And that period is the millennium. The seventh day is that, or the seventh year is that. Six 6,000 years of the reign and rule of man, mostly in opposition to Christ. And then he comes. When he comes, he puts down, he brings under his feet all rule and authority that opposes him and imprisons the one who is mostly responsible for the rejection of his rule among humankind. Prison Satan in Tartarus, in the bottomless pit, for a thousand years. That's why the millennium is not a fiction, it's not a joke, it's not a misprint, it is the time of the actual fulfillment on the earth of what God promised Jesus. Every tribe, tongue, language, and nation will bow to him and there will be no challenge to his rule because he will rule as with a rod of iron, which means his ways are not negotiable and there is no better way than his and there is no choice but to submit to his rule. That's what king means. King of kings, Lord of lords, is written on his robe and on his thigh as he leads the armies out of heaven to come into the earth and one of the first things he does is imprison the miscreant who led the world astray into thinking that there were alternatives to the kingdom of God. Now what we know about the seventh, about a day in God is a day may be as a thousand years, a thousand years may be as a day, but a day is not a 24-hour period because in the description of a day in the book of Genesis, it speaks of the evening and the morning and it speaks of the evening and the morning before the sun, moon, and stars were created. So we don't have a marker of the sun going around, of the earth going around the sun as a day. So evening and morning are references to the thing being clothed or dark or covered and then morning being the revealing of that thing. So it moves from where God has hidden it into where it's now visible. That same principle applies to the millennium.
it will he will rule in the millennium until until the purpose for his rule has been fulfilled the purpose of his rule is to establish uncontrovertibly the fulfillment of the promise that he will rule all the nations and that with a rod of iron but you will notice this other thing that the saints ruled and reigned with him for a thousand years now that is the subtext that gives understanding to why the millennium is a time of rule for the Lord Jesus Christ and the corporate body known variously as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the saints, it is to perfect them in rule so that they will rule in the coming ages. Now I want to leave it right there and we'll pick up from right there when we come back. I'm Sam Solon and we'll continue this discussion. See you then. Bye now.